Malcolm Gladwell is one of the most well-known thinkers in the world. But he says a lot of his fans don't know that he's black. White people don't know. Black people always know. How do you feel about that? As a, I find as it a hilarious, writer. first of all. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell on race, pop culture, and a whole lot more next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. That is the music and voice of a young Mexican-American artist named Omar Apollo. He's the subject of one of three features I'm going to share this week, each reflecting a different connection to Mexican music. Along those lines, we're also going to speak with a German immigrant to the U.S. who fell in love with music from the U.S.-Mexican border and produced a film telling that fascinating story. But first, mariachi. Listen closely. This is a group of teenagers, high schoolers from Chicago, who call themselves Mariachi Herencia de México. It's an inspiring story about dedication to culture and to family. Welcome to members of the Mariachi Herencia de México from Chicago. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Okay, just so that we can keep track of who's who, uh, tell me your name, your age, and what instrument you play. My name is Alejandra Aldaco. I am 15 years old, and I play the violin. My name is Marco Villela. I am 16 years of age, and I play the trumpet. Uh, my name is Carla de la Cerda. I am 16 years old, and I play the violin. So my first question is, how is it that you guys found your way to mariachi. Let's start with Alejandra. How did you find mariachi and, and how long have you been playing it? The way that I discovered mariachi was through my mother's side of the family. All her brothers, my uncles, are like mariachis. From, they, we come from a long line of like a musical background. And when our director, Mr. Malonado, he created um, Mariachi Heritage Foundation. He added into the CPS system, and we, uh, I when I looked into it, like, it really intrigued me because my family had grown up knowing this type of music, knowing like this tradition, and I was I wanted to be part of it because all of my uncles, as men, I had never seen any woman in my family, like become a mariachi, and I wanted to be one of the first person to change that from my family be original, be unique for my mother to know that, like, I want to follow that tradition and I want to be something that she can be proud of. Marco, how did you get to mariachi? I've been knowing mariachi since I was born, basically. It was the music that my parents heard, the music that my grandparents heard. Nobody was really an outgoing musician, so I wanted to be the first in our family to be able to express uh, our love for our culture through the music of mariachi. Carla? You play violin and you're a vocalist. Tell me about how you got to mariachi. Basically, ever since I was little, that was the first thing I can remember hearing. Wherever we went, if it was in the house or it was in the car, family parties, everything was mariachi music. And none of my family actually has um, a background in music. No one actually plays instruments. But I started playing um, classical music when I was around 
five and then I took a break in between and then I think around two years ago I joined the mariachi group because it was something I really loved and I love listening to the music and I loved how everyone sounds so passionate about it. I really wanted to learn. Now other kids your age, there's maybe listen to reggaeton. Um, yeah. Do you guys yeah. listen to that <laughs> in addition to what you're what you're playing? Well, kind of, but my type of like music that I listen to mainly is mariachi not as much like regular kids like at school like people tell me oh yeah i listen to osuna or bad bunny or like all of these pop culture artists i tell them oh i listen to lucha villa or lola beltran amalia mendoza and they're like who is that if kids now could listen to it they would understand but like they listen to a lot of mainstream and it's like i can't relate to it you know, I've always said that in order to understand mariachi music in a good ranchera, you have to have loved and then been hurt. You know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and uh, you guys seem to have skipped that part. <laughs> and, and just yeah. really, yeah. like, feel the whole, the whole essence of it. And I think that that says a lot about where you guys are in terms of your appreciation for the music, but also how you move forward in your life when you're looking at the bigger picture of your culture and who you are as individuals. Carla, tell me a little bit about some of the uh, experiences you guys have had. What kind of traveling have you guys done and where have you performed and what are some of the things that you've seen once you've been able to leave Chicago? The summer alone we've traveled to, we started off, um, we went to Miami first and then we did uh, Despierta America there to promote our new album. And then we went from there, we went to California. Um, we did a couple of shows there and something that's really interesting is um, we played at the Cali World Music Fest. Is that, yeah. And um, something that's really interesting is sometimes we program separate shows just for students because we like to, um, we um, like to, we do a mariachi show for them, but within, we, t we like explain to them the process and the different types of songs, and we explain to them what mariachi music really is. So it's a, it, there's a learning component, an educational yes. component. Yes, yes. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm assuming, I, I, maybe I don't have to ask this, but you guys, are, you have your eyes on college, right? You're getting good grades. Yes. Um, Sir? You're eating your vegetables, yes. right? You're doing all the stuff, right? You're getting good night's sleep. Yes. You're not yeah. spending too much time on your phones. No. <laughs> I didn't hear a yes to that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about a song on the album. Cucuru uh, Cucu Paloma. I think I first heard it when my mother was singing it. Mr. Alfaro's arrangement is very beautiful because honestly there's a bunch of versions of Kokurukuku but I don't think I have ever heard an arrangement like this one and I think it's not even just this song it's the whole album like if you go through each song in the album, I don't think anyone has ever heard any such beautiful arrangements as these.
Okay, now let's talk briefly about the the clothing, the mariachi, the suit, right? Ooh. Yeah, what does it feel like to put on that that traje? What does it feel like, man? It's it's definitely an honor to be able to wear el traje de charro. Um, you're essentially wearing pride. It's just being proud of being um, Mexicano, playing the music of your of your country, playing Mexican Mexican music, playing the music of our parents and grandparents. It's definitely uh, it's definitely an honor, and I'm proud of wearing el traje de charro. What I believe wearing a mariachi suit as a girl and showing my pride, because what you usually see is a male with um, the pants and the botonadura with the bell bottom. But you, it's rare to see. Before, you could not see like a, a girl wearing like the skirt. And once it was put in, and I can say that I can wear one, it's it's a pride to know that I can show that respect and that pride as a woman, as a young girl, knowing that it's not only for men and that I've changed the game for many young girls. Before we go, I have to just, this is the question I've been dying to ask you guys. Who has the best grito of the three of you? Um, Carla. That would be me. Okay. All right, Carla. <laughs> Step away from the microphone, give me a little distance, <laughs> and let it fly, man. Let me hear you. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> that's amazing. That's so cool. This is the best part of the interview, man. <laughs> Mariachi Herencia de Mexico from Chicago, the new album's Esencia. Guys, thank you so much. Please pass thank on you. my thank appreciation and my admiration and my love to the rest of the band and to the adults who are helping you make this happen. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to Alt Latino. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hola, What a joy it was to hang out with the young mariachis. And now we're going to switch gears and take it to the U.S.-Mexico border. In 1976, the late Bay Area filmmaker Les Blank released a film called Chulas Fronteras, an emotional celebration of the life and music along the U.S.-Mexican border. I saw it as a college freshman and it brought me to tears to see the music and the musicians portrayed with such dignity and respect. Chulas Fronteras is being re-released and distributed on DVD and Blu-ray, a major step for a film that was chosen to be included in the Smithsonian's collection of 400 films to be preserved in perpetuity. Chris Strakowicz was the producer of the film, and at the time he was running a small label called Arhuli Records, an outlet for folk music of all kinds here in the U.S. I caught up with Mr. Strakowicz by phone to talk to us about how the film came to be and why it is such a big deal that we can see it again. Chris Strakowicz, welcome to Alt Latino. It's long overdue, and we're very honored to have you on the show. 
Well, it's a pleasure to talking to you. I hope uh, you can do something with it. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe Chulas Fronteras, the theme, the concept, and what's in the film? It started out with my wanting to document the three prime living uh, examples of the origins of recorded uh, Tejano Conjunto music or whatever you want to call it, and that was Lidia Mendoza as the singer and Narciso Martinez as the prime founder of the whole kind of Norteño Conjunto style of accordion playing. I think I also wanted Los Alegas de Terran because they really created the Norteño style because they mixed their singing with uh, their duet singing with the accordion. Wow. And that really was the first time that a group became very famous. Yeah, I think it was really those three that I wanted to capture. What was it that Arhuli Records was doing at the time? Because it was primarily you guys were capturing authentic folk music of different regions of the United States. Well, I was primarily, I started with documenting a lot of early, not necessarily early, but blues singers I liked. And I was heavily into into that genre of music. And uh, But I heard so many other kinds fairly soon. And uh, it was, you know, I had already been introduced, I think, to Cajun music to some degree. And uh, I'm trying to think back to those days, you know. But I was also interested in hillbilly music and New Orleans jazz and all kinds of uh, sounds that I was hearing since I came from my country I was born in, which was Germany in 1947. Wow. And I was just amazed at this country's richness in its regional traditions of music that were so powerful and so forth. Um, but uh, then we had the wonderful fortune of meeting a lot of people once we got to Texas that uh, introduced us to, you know, every aspect of the existence of Mexican-Americans in that area. So essentially the film was an outgrowth of, so coming from this this background or this interest of having explored these other folk traditions, what made you turn the corner to look at the, the folk music along the Texas-Mexican border? Um, and how did that go from our Huli records to, to the film Chulas Fronteras? And I'm curious to know about whether or not you heard a little bit of something from your home with the uh, accordions and the polkas and stuff. <laughs> I had heard Mexican music shortly after I arrived in this country. I was sent to a school in near Santa Barbara, and I heard a radio station in the afternoon from Santa Paula that played uh, Mexican music at this time. This was in 1947, and it was a mixture of, you know, ranchero music, with mariachi accompaniment, usually singers, as well as some accordion music. And I apparently liked it right from the get-go. I was just enamored by it. But it really developed more and more as I, of course, spent time in areas where you had this music popping out. You know, Even in college, I remember going to hear mariachis in some places or hearing uh, stuff on the jukeboxes in, in Mexican cantinas and so on. And uh, it grew on me. I became absolutely fascinated by it. What's always impressed me about the film, and, and again, I saw this early, early on as a student at Fresno State, was just the the film captured the ambiance uh, and, and the lifestyle of the conjunto musicians. 
um, as I mentioned to you in, a, in, a, in an email, you know, I had conjunto musicians in my family, and hearing that, and seeing that music, and seeing how it's played, and the whole thing, it just, it just really struck a chord with me. And I think that that's one thing that's been missing all these years is that visual interpretation that is so accurate in Chulas Fronteras. I'm just, I'm just so pleased that it's getting another re-release that, that people will have a chance to see this amazing piece of work. Well, uh, thank you. I wish I could explain this in simple terms, but you see, I've always liked apparently the music of the underclasses, so to speak. And this is why I was never that enamored by the more uh, slick mariachis or what can I say, even boleros, since I didn't speak Spanish. You know, to me that was almost like pop music, but to me this polka and waltz-driven ranchera music, which had this vitality, uh, of course, uh, that just unmatchable, I would say. And I found those people had this kind of extra oomph that uh, I don't know how to really explain it, but uh, it's definitely working people's music. And I was always struck by the beauty of it, just like I was struck by the beauty of the blues, which a lot of African-Americans really frowned upon. They said, well, that's just drunkard's music, and that's exactly the same thing about this music from, from the border. They never liked accordion music there because it was considered cantina music or drunkard's music, you know, and the people said, why don't you listen to the orchestras? Why don't you like the, uh, you know, the... The, the, the groupos, you know, whatever was happening, and they didn't speak to me. Chris Trakowitz mentioned Lydia Mendoza. This is her singing her most well-known song, Malombra. Era una chiquilla todavía Cuando tu casualmente me encontraste A merceda artes de mundano de mi honra el perfume te llevaste luego hiciste conmigo lo que todos los que son como tú con las mujeres por lo tanto no extrañes que yo ahora en tu cara te diga lo que eres What was the reaction to the film when it came out initially? Did it get a lot of notice? Did people pay attention? Uh, was it ever distributed through music into uh, movie theaters? No, it never showed in movie theaters. And uh, it basically, and it was never picked up by any kind of television networks. Uh, however, there was at that time a strong uh, movement. You know, the, the whole Chicano movement was was getting strength. This was in the 70s. And uh, apparently the uh, library system in Los Angeles was very keen to show this in various classrooms. And... Uh, <laughs> to put it like this, but most people 
most teachers were not really that good at threading 16 millimeter film into a projector. And they may have shown it several times and then <laughs> the film sort of fell apart or got broken or got damaged and we actually sold over 100 copies to the uh, library system. That was really our main uh, thing. I mean, it got a few good reviews from uh, some several Chicano scholars, you know, but that was about it. It just, uh, I mean, there was some uh, some uh, acclaim because it was a Les Blank film, and Les Blank was developing rapidly a very good reputation for being an amazing documentarian, you know, who let this people speak and not have some voice over or or some academic say it for them, you know. He just likes to hear the people themselves. And I, I fully agreed with that attitude. And I think that's what really, really helped uh, make it real. And, and, and the people were just so happy to be part of it. There was a soundtrack. I know I had the vinyl at some point of the soundtrack. Is there a reissue of the uh, soundtrack for streaming services, etc.? Oh, oh, yeah, we, we, we have a CD of it that has both all of Chula's music on it as well as all of Del Mero Corazon's. And people can purchase it uh, online? and If you want them to make sure they always get things, our little store here, Down Home Music Store, in El Cerrito, I think it's just something called Down Home Music Store. Uh, you can have it always available from us here, or you can order it from the Smithsonian Folkwave label in Washington, D.C. Chris Strakowicz, thank you so much. Again, it's an honor to have you on the show, and I'm so personally very excited that the film is back out again and redone, and just in all of its glory, uh, it's just such a big deal, and I'm so glad that you took time to talk to us. Thanks a lot. I'm glad my little baby has, <laughs> has newly arrived. <laughs> Se llegó el momento 
Switching musical gears once again, we're going to visit with a young Mexican-American guitarist slash vocalist slash composer who is making music that was inspired by the music of his parents and grandparents. Are you sensing a theme in the show this week? Let's meet Omar Apollo. Mm-hmm. All right, Felix, I'm all set. Okay, thanks. Hello, Omar. Yo. Hey, it's Felix. What's up, Felix? How are you, bro? Chilling. Okay, let's start from the beginning for folks who may not be completely familiar with you at the moment. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with your music these days. I have an album out, and it's an EP called Friends, like seven songs. So we're catching you right at the beginning. Yes, sir. <laughs> so you, you are a good, principally a guitar player. Yes, sir. Yeah, I started playing at like 12, I think. I stopped like at 14 and started playing at like 18 again. So when you were growing up, what kind of music did you hear around the house and uh, what music has inspired you and influenced you? Um, I was listening to like the Beatles, like my, my dad would, would play them on like vinyl. Brother and Fonzas was a big one. Like they always pulled up all the YouTube videos of him like singing without a mic and stuff. And then Vicente Fernandez and Los Panchos. So a heavy dose of uh, Mexican music. Yeah. So they transferred that love of Mexican music to you early on. Yeah. So what's fascinating to me is that how that's manifested into their music that's heavily R&B and funk influenced. Mm -hmm. Where did that expression come from? I'm a musician. I just love music, and that's just kind of the music that made me feel um, good. So it just kind of like I just try, try to like learn it, you know. So when you were learning this music, what uh, funk and soul musicians were you listening to? Uh, Sly, Prince. I've been listening to a lot of Sly right now. I've been like kind of digging in like all their old albums and stuff. So you're 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 talking my generation. I'm 60 years old. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably around the age of your dad, probably. Yeah, definitely. So can you name like a Sly Stone song, a Sly and the Family Stone song that you you're digging into right now, or something that that pops into your mind as something that influenced you or, or, or amazed you or made Definitely. you think differently? Yeah, just like a baby and like Family Affair and something smiling. That song is fire too. But um, You caught me smiling. You caught me smiling and like I think it's something based something. Space Cowboy. That, the album's called There's a Riot Going On. It's an album where they spent a lot of time in the studio developing that sound. And so did that kind of production influence your own work? Definitely, like the muted bass lines and stuff. Yeah. Is there a song that you want to play right now that we can talk about while we're playing it? How are we feeling this morning? Are we, are we getting funky? Or are, we, are we sad? Or what's up? We are getting funky, man. Okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> we're going to play a song that's out. Okay, then it'd be a shame, for sure. Talk. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. So walk me through this song, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, as you can tell, like the the baseline is like the dun, 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 dun. that's like all sly. Like I love that sh stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Good catch. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, was, I like had just moved into um because I was moving everywhere and I had just gotten got kicked out of the one house I was staying at, so I had to move and I was on tour last year so i moved into my friend's house and like there was boxes everywhere then i was just like i don't even want to like unpack i just want to make a beat and this is like what i made so these chord changes and a lot of this music like this 
especially in some of this stuff from the 70s it's heavy heavy funk rhythms but the chords almost like emote this like feeling of joy right of release yeah it's, it's sort of out of left field but it puts it right into perspective everything else in the perspective for sure there's a lot of like expression on this song and I also like towards the end of the song there's like a like a chops and screwed like beat that I made um, and I just kind of like threw it on there and it worked and I just love chops and screwed music like I, I can just listen to like chops and screwed playlists like if you if you want to get sad you can listen to like country chops and screwed <laughs> really yeah it's nuts <laughs> Like, uh, I mean, listening to this music, man, it could be, you know, a George Duke album from like 77. The wow. stuff I used to Thank listen you. to, man. So, do you feel like you're, uh, like you were born too late or you should have been born in another time to be able to soak all that stuff in when it was happening? I, I mean, I'd be down for it. Like to be alive during all those, the time that those legends were, then like to be there when like the albums come out. That'd be insane. I've heard someone uh, refer to you as the, having the potential to be like the next John Mayer um, in, <laughs> in, in that you're both a guitar player, because John Mayer is a hell of a guitar player. Yeah, for and, sure. But also a songwriter that makes really engaging music that, go, that slips easily into the pop world. And, and, and a lot of your music has that feel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I, I'm always down for the compliments. I like they're sick, and I love John Mayer, so it's 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 really nice, and I appreciate it. Is that something that you're consciously trying to do, trying to craft pop music? Never. <laughs> <laughs> I just do whatever I feels good, man. I, I don't really think about it too much. Thank you so much for coming in, Omar Apollo. Thank you. And let's stay in touch, man. You're welcome back anytime as your career goes along, as your albums come out. You know, you're welcome back to come and talk to us anytime. And we'll, let's just let's just follow you, man. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you guys for having me. Omar Apollo. The EP is called Friends. Oh, which, uh, which track do you want to finish with today? What do you want to play? We could play Trouble. My thanks to everyone who took part in the show this week. Mariachi Herencia de Mexico, the fabulous group of teenage mariachis, the pioneering record label owner and film producer Tris Strakowitz, and finally Omar Apollo, a young man with a vision that is never far from his roots. And thank you for listening. You can find some of the music we played today on our website, npr.org slash altlatino, and we're always happy to hear from you on Facebook and Twitter. We are NPR's Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. Thank you so much for listening. Kiss me one time 
Real life.